talk with Melkor. Doris and her mountain home. Two days passed, and Professor Straw had bidden them goodbye and set out for Berlin. And by the window, looking toward Mont Piso, sat Dorothy and Doris, with needlework in their hands, but their thoughts were not upon it. The dutiful, affectionate heart of Doris was wrung at seeing the change in her mother's face since the offer of her uncle Nicholas and the severe words of her relatives had given her so much anxiety. Doris knew that the struggle in that loving heart was almost more than could be borne, and was glad that the time for settling the matter was almost at hand. Mama, she said, did not Uncle Nicholas say that he would send Cousin Nicholas this afternoon for our answer? Yes, and oh, Doris, do not decide too hastily. You may make the mistake of a lifetime. We have not seen Melkor for some time, Mama. He is gardening at the sanitarium. I think I will take a walk there and see him. Do, dear, the walk over the mountain will refresh you. Doris laid her sewing upon the broad seal of the window, putting on her sun hat, kissed her mother goodbye, and walking quickly down the path to the bridge. She crossed it without halting to gaze at the water gurgling its way beneath it, went quickly up the slope of Mont Piso, and was soon entering the large grounds of the sanitarium. She looked about, but did not see Melkor, and her heart was beginning to chill with disappointment when she heard voices behind a large flowering bush and recognized one of them as that of Melkor. Now, Doris, have you come to see your old friend? He said pleasantly as he halted in his work of spading and held out his hand to her. Yes, Melkor, I have wanted to see you, she said. He was not alone. Near him stood a girl, talking volubly and scarcely waiting for his slow responses. She wore a nurse's costume, and under the shade of a tree nearby stood a child's carriage. Doris went toward it that she might not appear to be a listener to the conversation, and saw a pale little boy who was leaning forward to catch the conversation, and Doris was surprised to find him an intelligent listener. Instead of the infant she had thought him, he put up a white, thin hand to enjoin silence. I wish to hear what they are saying, he said. No. Her gardener, remarked Loretta gladly. Reasonable creatures should expect a learned lady like his mother to waste her time entertaining a cripple. No one would be do it unless well paid for it. But she is his mother, commented Melkor, and although it could not be expected for her to wheel his carriage for hours yet. But she is better employed, interrupted Loretta. She understands all kinds of science, such as learned men, even having no greater knowledge, so people say, and gives all her time to it. And the doctors say her brain must have rest, and that is why she is here. Her husband, in the meantime, is traveling with their two elder boys, bright, healthy, handsome boys they are, not at all like this cripple, who they do the doctors say must live out in the air. What good does it do? He is a cripple and will always be one, and his mother is glad to have him out of her sight. It is well she has such a kind caretaker, remarked Melkor dryly. The nurse knew by his look and tone that he was rebuking her, but before she could reply, the boy said excitedly, She is not kind. She is ill-tempered, and I hate her. 
You see, the thanks I get, said Loretta, flushing with anger. The miserable little cripple I, Doris took the carriage beyond hearing and stooped and kissed his forehead. I knew it all the time, said the boy with tears running down his cheeks. Carl and Max belong to Papa, but I belong to nobody. Poor child, said Doris tenderly. I wish you would stay with me. Will my carriage away and let Loretta have to run about to find me? But Loretta, her chat finished, came toward them and with a show of kindness said, So Willie, you have found a friend, and nodding to Doris, drew the carriage away. Who are they, Melkor? inquired Doris, after watching them until they disappeared from view. I know no more of them than what you heard just now. I only know that the lady is in the sanitarium for her health, and that every day the nurse wheels the carriage of the little boy for hours through the grounds. She only speaks to me when there is no one else to talk to. The poor boy, he must have a singular mother. Yes, I have thought that, and there is something else that I think singular, Doris, noting her pale cheeks and sad eyes. Why do you sit in the cellar dungeon knowing that outside and overhead the sun is shining clear and warm to bring joy into one's heart? Doris remembered this comparison. Melkor had made it the day before her first communion, the day he brought her the sweet ballads, which she had always kept in remembrance of that happy time in her life. Oh, Melkor, said she, with tear-dimmed eyes, if one only knew that the sun was really shining outside to bring warmth and joy into one's heart. But even if it were, and the one in the cellar dungeon has no ladder whereby to ascend, she must remain there. If one cannot come of her own strength, she must remember that there is a compassionate helper, an arm strong to deliver, if she will only reach out her hand to him. These words brought to her remembrance those uttered by her father during his last days upon earth, and also the hymn taught her by Fräulein von Ernstein. Take my hand, O father dear, let me know thee ever near. Yes, if one could go to her father in heaven for help in a trouble like mine, she said to herself. Doris had never prayed for this. Her night and morning petitions were those she had been taught in childhood and she was faithful in the performance of this duty. But now, like a flash of light, the significance of the lines of the hymn came into her mind, a prayer to be led by a strong hand, a longing to lay the burden of her anxiety and distress upon one who was able and willing to guide and comfort her. Oh, the joy if she could be led as a child, to be as free from care as she was under the offer of Uncle Nicholas, as she was when she and her father sat amid the flowers on Monte Oso, and she read and sang to him while he painted the distant mountains and Lake Magor at their feet. You have considered long over my words, remarked Melkor his kind heart noting the change in her since he last saw her, then so cheerful and happy, now so burdened with care. Do you realize what a great privilege the compassionate helper has allowed us in giving us the joy of saying our Father who art in heaven? Do you know what a father is and what a healthy father can be? Oh, who can know better than I what a loving father is, cried Doris with tears streaming from her eyes. If my father were but living, I would indeed know where to go for advice and help. No one then would tell me that I am a useless creature, and in after years my mother would reproach me for bringing her to poverty, and she sobbed in the abandonment of her grief. 
Melkor knew that tears would relieve her burdened heart. He said nothing to check them, but kept on with his work, clipping here and there stray shoots and branches until she regained her composure. One who knows so well, as do you, what it is to have a loving father should be the happiest of persons, for you can comprehend what it is to have a father in heaven who will never leave you nor forsake you if you are his child. Yes, Melkor, but I do not know that he heeds me in my troubles. Our Father in heaven belongs to everyone upon earth. All are his children. Suppose you displease your earthly father. Suppose you were not always willing for him to guide and direct you. Oh, Melkor, my father loved me so that he made of me what he would. I was under his teaching and example all the time. I judged he was just such a father, and knowing him as you do, you can then better understand what it is to have not only a powerful helper and protector, but loving friend in our heavenly father. He wishes us all to be happy. My father's greatest wish was to see me happy, said Doris. But now suppose you sometimes wish to be your own mistress, and you wandered away from your earthly father's oversight, following your own leading. Then, after a time of trusting to yourself and forgetting your father's guiding hand, you came into great need for the best advice, and there was no one to help you. And you looked back upon the love of that kind father who always could and did help you. Would you not say to yourself, Yes, I have a father who loves me and will help me. I will go to him. Yes, I understand you, Melkor, but if I have not depended for guidance upon my heavenly father, but have trusted to myself, dare I ask his help now? You you who have a, had a loving father on earth should be the one to know. Oh, he would have welcomed me, cried Doris, tearfully. All the past would have been forgotten in his joy that I had come back to him. Our Father in Heaven is far more tender and loving than any earthly father can possibly be. Believe in his written word, Doris. It was written for you. Come out of the cellar dungeon, poor child. Come into the sunlight of God's love. Be a loving, trusting child. Let him take you by the hand and lead you. Doris made no reply for a time. She was reflecting as she followed the old man from bush to bush as the spading demanded. Melkor, said she, I wish to ask you a question. Will you answer it? Yes, if I can, I surely will. If one knows that she has a loving father in heaven, dare she ask a question of him that she would ask her earthly father? Surely she could, Doris, and more than that. The answer, while it might not suit your wishes at the time, would be what is best for you, for he knows the end from the beginning. Your earthly father, not knowing what is best, might grant the wish, and time would prove that it was far from wise. Therefore, in your prayers to your heavenly father, and in no petition without the words, Not my will, but thine be done. But if one longs to do what is right, that she may not have remorse in after years, but does not know what is right, can she pray to God to show her the way? Can she get an answer that will show her the sure and certain way? When we ask God in faith, believing that He hears us and will answer in His own good time and way, we are sure of an answer and must wait patiently for it. But, Melkor, if we cannot wait, but must have an answer this very day, in a few hours, I cannot quite understand you. If I knew what is troubling you, I might 
be better able to advise, replied the old man kindly. Yes, Melkor, how can you advise when you have not been told? There is a young man who asks me to be his wife. He does not care for me, nor I for him. I am always glad when I think I will never see him again. All my relatives, except my mother, urged me to marry him, because I would then share with him in our great uncle's property. They say that I have it in my power to provide an elegant home for my widowed mother, and if I refuse, I will suffer bitter remorse when I see her need comforts which I could have given her and would not. They reproach me bitterly and say that a girl of seventeen should take the vice of older and wiser people, and that I am and always will be a useless creature. Would it not be better to tell the young man your feeling toward him? asked Melkor. Mama did tell him, but he paid no attention to it. God sees into your heart, Doris. He knows all and more than you can tell him. He is a God of love. Can you promise in his sight to love a man you cannot love? Is not the answer to be found in your own heart? It is, Melkor, it is, cried Doris with tears of joy. I am trusting my Father in heaven, and he is leading me. I need have no remorse for lack of duty to my mother. Yes, Doris. Put yourself entirely under the guidance of your Heavenly Father, and be joyful in the certainty that you have the Almighty One for a friend. I know it, I know it. Oh, the peace and confidence and strength that has come into my heart. You are the friend who has brought me the message from my Heavenly Father. I thank you many, many times. Now I must go. Come soon and see us, Melkor. Dorothy met her at the door upon her return, and her heart thrilled with joy to see the change in her. The eyes of Doris were bright. Her cheeks had regained their rosy hue, and her voice its cheerful ring. I have been to see Melkor, she said, and he has shown me the direct path to my Father in Heaven. Then the two went to their favorite window, and taking seats, Doris told her mother of the whole interview with Melkor, and Dorothy rejoiced with her that peace had dawned again in her heart. Uncle Nicholas that evening received the negative answer to his request, and as the days passed on, Dorothy, to her great joy, saw that the improvement in the spirits of Doris was lasting. She laughed and chatted and sang as before, took interest in all that pertained to their daily life, enjoyed the church service and Sabbath school, and the scenery about her home grew more attractive, though it could never displace the love of Montrosso from her heart. Autumn had come, and one afternoon, Marie and Melkor met, both on their way to the cottage by the river. "'Are you intending to call at Dorothy's?' asked Marie, halting to speak to him. "'I am,' replied Melkor. "'I suppose so, as you are the friend who poses as an advisor, the prophet which has foreseen evil, the sun which has given light to two moles. Through you they have turned their backs upon an offer which everybody who has a spark of real interest in them knows they should have grasped with both hands. What Cousin Nicholas sees in her is more than any sensible person can tell, for he could get a much better wife for the asking. She is perfectly useless and knows no more of the duties of the mistress of such a home that Uncle Nicholas offers than a canary bird. "'Your husband is an experienced farmer, I believe,' remarked Melkor in his quiet way. "'How would it answer for him to yoke a canary bird with one of his oxen to draw a cart?' "'One side of your comparison hits the mark. Doris is just as useless as a canary bird. "'She can sing and run after wild roses. "'That is all that we have to be encouraged, have been encouraged to accept from her.' 
It is to get this little bird to cheer one with her sweet song that brought me here today, explained Melkor. As they reached the doorway of the cottage, Maria, Marie had a message for Dorothy from the grandmother and took her aside to give it, leaving Doris to entertain Melkor. Doris, said the old man, there is a gentleman at the sanitarium by the name of Von Ernstein. Do you know of one of that name? I do indeed. And Doris told of her meeting with him and his daughter, and of the painting of the strand of the North Sea, which they had given to her mother. Through a letter from Professor Straw, he has heard that you are here, continuing Mel, being too feeble to come to see you, will consider it a great favor if you will come to see him. Gladly, replied Doris cheerfully, I will go this afternoon if it will suit him to see me. Melker was sure it would suit and waited to accompany her, and in a short time they reached the sanitarium, where Herr von Ernstein sat upon the broad veranda. He looked up in surprise when she told him who she was, a tall, finely developed young lady with a wealth of brown hair instead of the little girl whom his daughter had loved. They conversed long and earnestly, and Doris noticed a look of pain pass over the face of the bereaved father at the mention of Amelia. She knew the comfort it was to her mother and herself to talk of her father, and she longed for him to have the same comfort. It grieves me to see that you avoid speaking of your loved daughter, now happy in heaven, she said. My child, he replied in a trembling voice, you are dear to me for my daughter's sake, and for that reason I say to you what I have never said to anyone. It is not the separation from my loved daughter that has burdened my heart all these years. It is the cruelty with which I treated her during the last few weeks of her life. Cruelty? Oh, that is impossible, cried Doris, clasping her hands in astonishment. You idolized her. She told me so. Yes, dear child, but let me tell you, I would never listen to a word of her leaving me. In my selfish distress at the thought of losing her, I would not give her the comfort of talking to me. I realized afterward that she longed to tell me her thoughts, her wishes, perhaps her fears, which I should have listened to and comforted. She saw I could not bear it, so kept it all in her own heart. The poor, dear young creature had no mother to lean upon, no one but a sorrow-stricken man who leaned for comfort upon her feeble life. I longed for her to get well, and thought the surest way was to keep her cheerful. She had to bear her sad thoughts alone, and who can tell how sad they may have been? Then the night she was called home, she said, Come, Papa, come, do not leave me, and even but put out a feeble, detaining hand, but I must have help. I ran to the room of the physician in the Hotel Pianza. He was hard to wake. When I got back, she was dead. Alone, entirely alone, had my sweet, timid child gone out upon her long voyage, fought the battle with death, alone, forsaken, her von Ernstein. She was not alone, her Savior was with her. There is no comforter like him, said Doris, with tears of sympathy in her eyes. I remember every word she said to me the day I went for the picture, and Doris repeated each word of the conversation between them while her von Ernstein had, had gone from the room. Oh, child, you can never know the comfort you have given me. Think well of every word my daughter said to you, that you may tell me exactly as she said it. Doris had no need to think. She had recalled the words too often to forget them, and now repeated them to the father, who listened eagerly. Thank, that does comfort, does comfort, he said when she finished. 
the conversation between Fräulein von Ernstein and herself by the low stone wall. For years I have thought the poor child sought comfort of me. Instead, she was only wishing to share with me the peace that filled her own heart. It appeared that he could not rejoice enough over the words that he had never expected to hear. It was to him as a message from the happy home where his loved one was singing the songs of the redeemed. I leave here tomorrow for my home in Berlin, he said, as Doris arose to go. I thank you, Fräulein Doris. Thank you from my heart of hearts for the blessed comfort you have given. Life will be sweeter to me for it. At that moment, Loretta came out on the veranda with Willie in his carriage and nodded to Doris as to an old acquaintance. Mama wants to see you, cried Willie eagerly. She was going to send for you to come in to see her. Come now, come now, and Willie held fast her hand, not letting it go until Doris promised to go with him to see his mother. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.